All right. Well, if you, as I said, if you'll turn to Luke chapter 15, and uh, in this passage, Jesus tells us three parables, but they're very related. And uh, although we're not going to, all of this passage doesn't cover the crucifixion, it definitely talks about the love that compelled Jesus to allow himself to be crucified. Because lest, lest we forget, and I know we know this, but it's good to be reminded, uh, Jesus um, was not forced into his crucifixion. As a matter of fact, when they came to arrest him, what happened? John chapter 18 is one of my favorite passages, and I won't go there to read it, but I encourage you to read it on your own time. And it says that when the captains of the guard from the temple got there, and then Jesus said, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they fell backward. Now, being human, I could have I could have easily made the mistake that they made, but my you know, I would at least hope that they had a thought process that said, Hey, uh, we we just fell backward. Maybe what we're doing isn't the smartest thing. And then as if that wasn't enough, when Peter cut off Malchus's ear, Jesus touched the ear and restored it. He's going to Calvary to stand between us and hell. And he's still caring for others. In a physical, tangible way. What a wonderful testimony and what an example for us to follow. To be caring to others, even in our most dire needs. And we see that that rubbed off on the Apostle Paul because even while he's in a Philippian jail, he is ministering the gospel to Caesar's household. He says in the end of Philippians, the saints of Caesar's household greet you. How amazing must that have been for the Philippians to read that. All right. Well, I don't want to get too far off track, but that just struck me and I... You know, I got really excited during the singing this morning, so hopefully um, that carries over into the message, and you guys all stay awake and everything will be good. Um, all right, well, um, the theme of my message today, as I said, Jesus talks about the lost being found. So if you're taking notes, that's kind of the title of the message today. And uh, in our first section, we're going to talk about the lost coin and the lost sheep. So we'll read the first ten verses of Luke chapter 15. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and the sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Now my first observation is this. Why weren't the Pharisees first in line? They knew the scriptures Supposedly. So they should have been near to Jesus because they were the religious leaders of their community. But they weren't. What, is the, what does the Apostle James say? He says, draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you. You see, Jesus 
wasn't going to these publicans and sinners just to leave them publicans and sinners, but it was going to them because they were willing to draw near to him and say, we need a change. And these Pharisees who were, who were judging these publicans and sinners as sinners were perhaps worse sinners because they didn't realize that they needed help. Well, let's continue reading. And he spoke this parable unto them, saying, Which man of you, having an hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it? And when she found it, she called her friends and her neighbors sit together, saying, Rejoice in me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. So let's, let's look at these things here. When a man has a hundred sheep, and he loses one of them, a shepherd having a hundred sheep, he will leave the ninety-nine and go find the one that is lost. And I I think a lot about sheep because sheep are one of the the dumbest animals in the animal kingdom. So you're, you you think about all the animals that we could have been compared to in the Bible. And God says, you're sheep. And at first, when, when you're immature in the faith, you might say, well, why would God say that? I'm better than a sheep. But then you realize all the stupid things that you do. And as you get closer to God, you realize even more of the stupid things that you do because you become more in tune with God. He shows you what is what is lacking in your life. It's interesting that the closer Paul got to Jesus, the longer he lived, the lesser his opinion was in his writings. In one of his early writings, he said, I'm the least of all the apostles. And in his final letter, he said, I am the chief of sinners. He didn't say I was the chief of sinners. He says, I am the chief of sinners. But before that, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So the hope was there. Paul had that hope that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And, and so can you and I. And that he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say unto you, 
Likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Now, there's a couple different ways I think that you can kind of apply the ninety-nine just persons. One is the simple, straightforward one that says, well, um, you know, obviously if, if we are just and we've already been redeemed, he's going to, going to rejoice greatly over someone that comes to Christ for the first time because our destinies are taken care of. And his plan is still being worked out in other people's lives. But as I read this passage and I think about the contrast, who was talked about first here? The publicans and sinners and the Pharisees. I began to understand that perhaps what Jesus is saying is that these publicans or these Pharisees, they didn't think they needed repentance. And so there was no reason for God to rejoice over them, even though they were following the letter of the law, their hearts were far from him. He said, with your lips you profess to know me, but your hearts are far from me. And I know we've probably had times in our lives when this is true because we are not perfect, but the overall tenor of a Christian's life should be that my heart is lined up with my lips. People will not always live what they profess, but they'll always live what they believe. And so, my challenge to you as well as to myself is, are we living that which we believe? Um, in regards uh, to this coin, I don't know if you realize this, but culturally, often in Israel, a woman would be given a band of ten coins to wear around her head. And if her husband was displeased with her, he could take one or more of the coins. And so this coin thing was an outward way for people to realize how pleased a husband was with his wife. So her losing her coin, it wasn't like, you know, when I was a kid, I always thought, well, she had this stack of coins, which I always wondered. You know, I always wanted, when I got coins, I wanted to spend them as quickly as possible. So I always wondered why she even had ten coins. You know, and why was she so worried about one? But I learned that culturally, this is what happened. So having one lost would give the false idea that her husband was displeased with her. And he probably would be displeased with her for the fact that she lost the coin. So this is the significance. But she finds her coin and she, she searches diligently. She, she, lights all the, she lights the candle and sweeps the house and seeks diligently to find it. And then when she does, she goes to her friend and the neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. And, uh, you know, we were talking about losing stuff all the time. Um, my mom often misplaces her phone, and it's a good thing she doesn't keep it on vibrate, because she often asks one of us to call it, so when she hears it ringing, she can find it again. So... You know, that's just something. And I remember even before cell phones, that same thing happened with the cordless phone back in the day. But uh, just one of those things that when you find something that you lost that you really need, then 
you rejoice and you include your friends in your rejoicing. And then Jesus says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repenteth. And I think this is so important because a lot of times when we talk about evangelistic efforts, we talk about how many can we get saved. You know, and that's not necessarily bad, don't get me wrong, but I remember my dad said he visited a Baptist church in our town and they had this board up of all the people that had gotten saved during their recent revival and yet the church, which was relatively small, was not packed. And he said, if all these people got saved, where are they? Why are they not sitting in church rejoicing with the rest of the saints? Now, I don't know all the details of that, but the point being that it's not just about numbers. A lot of people can profess faith in Christ, but if someone actually believes Christ, their life will change, and people will see it. Paul's life made such a radical change that he changed his name, because he said, I'm no longer Saul of Tarsus. I am Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. What a change. Could someone look at um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25, just more about what happens to us when we are found by Jesus. 1 Peter 2, verse 21 to 25, if somebody gets that, they can go ahead and read it for us. Unto where you call, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. And I wanted to focus on the last verse there, 25, but I wanted to get the context. Jesus gave us an example to follow in his steps, and then he died for us on the tree because we were as sheep gone astray, but now because of his blood we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. You see, Jesus saw the lost sheep. He even told the Phoenician woman, Phoenician woman, I am come but for the lost sheep of Israel. And she said, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. And he said, go your way. Your faith has made your daughter well. And I, I believe strongly that God wanted to use the children of Israel to lead the Gentiles into his church. But when they rejected him, because it says he came unto his own and his own received him not, he said this, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And then, he, then Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I don't know if there's any Jews here. Most of us probably are not. But I'm thankful that that gift was extended to the Gentiles. 
Just wanted to share you a little bit of insight about sheep. Dr. Andrew Bonar told me how in the highlands of Scotland, the sheep would often wander into the rocks and get into places where they couldn't get out of. The grass on the mountains is very sweet, and the sheep like it, and they will jump down 10 or 12 feet, and then they can't jump back again, and the shepherd hears them bleeding in distress. They may be there for days until they have eaten all the grass. The shepherd will wait until they are so faint they cannot stand, and then they will put a rope around them, and he will go over and pull the sheep out of the jaws of death. Why don't they go down there when the sheep first gets there, I said. Ah, he said. They are so very foolish that they would dash right over the precipice and be killed if they did. And that is the way with men. They won't go back to God till they have no friends and have lost everything. If you are a wanderer, I tell you that the Good Shepherd will bring you back the moment you have given up trying to save yourself and are willing to let him save you in his own way. Romans chapter 5 says it this way, While we are yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Alright, well our next section here is about the younger brother of two sons. He's usually the one that gets the focus of the story, but I've split these sections into the younger brother and the older brother. I think each of them have things to share with us. And so let's look at Luke 15, 11, 24. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he took him into his fields to feed swines. Swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise to go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, are in thy sight, and am no longer worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again, and he was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. Alright, so we see this younger brother goes to his dad and says, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. And he divided unto them his living. Now we don't know what was going through this father's head or why he was so uh, willing to do this. He doesn't resist. 
But again, thinking about the Jewish culture, uh, an oldest son would usually get a double portion. So this would be roughly a third, I believe, of his father's wealth. So we don't know what, what his dad sold off in order to do this either, because like, you know, this was, this was an inheritance that he should have received upon his father's death. And, but one way or another, his dad gets the money together. And the son leaves and goes on his long journey. And he wasted his substance with riotous living. You know, sometimes in my human moments, I uh, wonder what it would be like to win the lottery. I, you know, I had a fleeting thought when the Powerball got up to 500 million, or... Actually, I think it got over $1 billion. And I was like, well, what if I bought a ticket? Of course, then I'd have to come and explain to all my ministry supporters that I won the lottery, because you just can't hide that kind of thing. So I didn't do it. But my point being that I was thinking, well, you know, it would certainly take care of a lot of things. You know, I'd be able to buy three vans. And I would be able to buy a new house and be set up pretty well for life. But then I think about all these people that have won the lottery, and many of them have blown their riches, just like this prodigal son, and have even less than they did before they won the lottery. So um, I am fairly content living in uh, relative obscurity with as much as I need and not a whole lot more. Um, but there's a lot here. You know, he gets this gift from his father, and, and you think, under normal circumstances, if you get a large gift from your father, you may rejoice and be thankful to your dad, and maybe stick around, ask his wisdom on how to spend it, or what to do with it, but he doesn't. He takes off. So his whole purpose in, in obtaining this gift was to go somewhere else to spend it and waste it. And we kind of read between the lines because we read about his riotous living and we kind of get this picture in our heads that he had friends as long as he had money. But when his money ran out, then his so-called friends left as well. and He had nothing. And he's wandering, and he's trying to find work, and then on top of that, there's a famine. And he's sitting there, um, trying to feed pigs. And he's so hungry that this pig slop looks good. And then he realizes that even the hired servants that his dad has are treated with respect and kindness. And so he said, I'm going to go back to this, my dad. I'm going to tell him that I'm a sinner. I'm going to tell him that um, I'm not worthy to be called his son. And maybe he'll take me on as a servant. But the dad um, gives him a party and says, welcome back, son, and restores him to his former place. says, you're still my son. One of my favorite parts about this is that um, 
It says, uh, and he arose, in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. What does it say in Ephesians chapter 2? But you who are far off have been brought nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. This wasn't just something where Jesus said, well, if I have to, I mean, he did kind of say that in the garden, but it wasn't something where he was reluctant. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame and endured the pain of the cross, the suffering of the cross, so that you and I could have redemption. If somebody could read Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, as a cross-reference. Titus 3, 3 to 5. Someone gives it if they could stand and read that for us. were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, from the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. We were like that prodigal son. We were, we were living wasteful, riotous lives. We were doing our own thing. And God said, that cannot be. And he reached out and he grabbed us. And I'm so glad that that day, shortly before my fifth birthday, he reached out and he grabbed me and he said, follow me. And I'm so glad that he has put up with me ever since because if I were him, I probably, I know, actually I know I wouldn't have put up with me, but he has. And I'm so grateful. In 1981, a Minnesota radio station reported a story about a stolen car in California. Police were staging an intense search for the vehicle and the driver, even to the point of placing announcements on local radio stations to contact the thief. On the front seat of the stolen car sat a box of crackers that, unknown to the thief, were laced with poison. The car owner had intended to use the crackers as rat bait. Now the police and the owner of the VW Bug were more interested in apprehending the thief to save his life than to recover the car. So often when we run from God, we feel it is to escape his punishment. What we are actually doing is eluding his rescue. It grieves my heart that what the world does not understand is that they're not simply fleeing a vengeful, judgmental God 
Although he is that unjustifiably so, they are fleeing a God who took that vengeance and judgment and poured it out on Jesus Christ so they could come to him boldly without fear of it. I deserve the judgment of Christ. You deserve the judgment of Christ. But because of his sacrifice, we don't have to go through it. Instead, when I sin, Jesus stands up before God the Father and he says, Father, I paid for that. It's over and done. And how grateful I am that that is the case. So the younger brother is all of us who have been redeemed. We've all been that prodigal. And God our Father has been the one to run and meet us and to fall on our neck and kiss us. So now let's look at the older brother. Luke 15, 25 to 32 has this to say. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked them what it meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fat of calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and entreated him. And answering, said to his father, and he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither have I transgressed thy at any time thy commandment. Yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I mightest make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, who had devoured thy living with harlots, Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine, and it is meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and was found. Now, of course, I definitely see the Pharisees here. But who of us has not been a Pharisee time or two in their life? I wonder, why could there be a party without the son being already there, the oldest son already there, ready to partake in the party? And one of the conclusions that I come to is he was more interested in doing what he perceived was service for his father than actually being in fellowship with his father. I often tell others, as I tell myself, never mistake service for Jesus for walking with Jesus. Yes, service should be the result of our relationship with Jesus, and yes, we can rejoice in fellowship with him as we serve, But sometimes we can get busy with much serving, as Martha was, and forget the better part. And perhaps if this young man had been in tune with his father and been in fellowship with his father, he would have realized that as much as it is good to work and serve his father, there's a time for work to end and a time for peace and rest and partying, so to speak, to begin. But he never found that rest. He was there with his father, but he still hadn't found that rest in him. 
And so it is with those who try to add to the work that Jesus has done. Jesus did the work. He says, come on to me and I will give you rest. But anybody that says that you need Jesus and is wrong. My friends, all you need is Jesus. And I think that's where this older brother, whether he was of the Pharisees and completely away from God in practice, or whether he was a believer but, but struggling with allowing the work that was done to be enough, I think we can both see ourselves in this older brother either way. There's a great time for rejoicing and rest in peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I will overcome the world. You know, there's a lot of talk today about shootings. It seems like every other week there's a shooting. This past week there was a shooting of several Dallas police officers. Men who leave the house every morning not knowing if they will come back to their families. And I think at least six families who ended the day without their father or their husband. And I know at least one of them had just recently been married and leaves a young widow. How that grieves my heart. But you know the thing that most grieves my heart is that no one will look to the right place for answers. There's one answer to that. It's not giving the whites more rights or the blacks more rights. It's about putting Jesus first. If we put Jesus first, we will see a revival in this land. If we put Jesus first, we will respect authority as given by God. If we put Jesus first, we will put the interests of others ahead of the interests of ourselves. And there will be no reason for violence. Now, do I, no, do I, am I smart enough to know that that's never going to completely happen? Until Jesus comes back, yes, I am. But I still believe that as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, I have the, the responsibility and the goal of being a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. That being said, I can't stop talking about sin in the name of peace. See, because that's what so many of us Christians get accused of. They get accused of, we get accused of trying to incite trouble by talking about the evilness of sin. But it's just like in that example I just read. We think that we're eluding judgment by running from Jesus, and instead we're eluding rescue. Because the judgment's going to come whether we want it to or not. The rescue can only come if we choose to allow it. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, very quickly. And then one final story. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. If somebody gets there before me, you can go ahead and read it.
shackles sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. God said in the Old Testament, he said, I am not a man that I should lie, nor the son of man that I should change my mind. Do you really want to be one of those people that makes God, a God who cannot lie, into a liar in the minds of other men? See, that's what we do when we say that we have no sin. But when we say that we have sin, that's the quickest way to have no sin. Because, see, I am a sinner. And I will struggle with sin until the day I die. But when God looks at me, he looks at me through Jesus. And because of that, he says that I'm righteous. I was wicked. But now I'm washed. And it's the same thing that he says to you. And this is a story about the dangers of not taking the burdens of the law, so to speak, off our shoulders when we come to Christ. In the Philippines, I heard a local pastor use the following parable to illustrate Christ's offer of rest in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. We already referred to that. And the response of people who won't trust him completely. The driver of a caribou wagon was on his way to the market when he overtook an old man carrying a heavy load. Taking compassion on him, the driver invited the old man to ride in the wagon. Gratefully, the old man accepted. After a few minutes, the driver turned to see how the man was doing. To his surprise, he found him still straining under the heavy weight, for he had not taken it off his shoulders. He was on the wagon, but he still held on to the Peter says this, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus, since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cares for me. That's my testimony. I pray that it is yours. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you care for us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have plans for us that we cannot even imagine. Lord, I I thank you for your provision and your love as displayed in these saints here in Holland. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would Help us to 
purge out our older brother tendencies and become the humbled younger brother who all he could do was to throw himself at the mercy of his father and allow his father to welcome him home. Too many of us are like the guy who saved all his money to go on a big cruise ship and then sat in his cabin eating crackers and peanut butter the whole time, not realizing that all the meals were included. Father, we we thank you that all the meals are included, that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. May we do so more freely as a result of today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.